welcome back to Booze Nation, the podcast. I'm Tracy Ramos, and we're still in a pandemic. Please get vaxxed and please mask up. And this is the second part of my interview with Trish Tracy of Myriad Restaurant in San Francisco. In last episode, we talked about how great it was to work in restaurants in San Francisco in the 90s, how many women were in the back of the house back in the day, and the dreaded and awful delivery apps. Yuck. This episode, we dive right back in it. Like I said, I almost never do it. The other day was one of those days. I was just exhausted after a long weekend. I really wanted a cheeseburger. I didn't have it in me to go out and get it. Ordered it. The The food and the drink total was $32. The bill, <clears throat> the bill was $54. Those were all the taxes and fees and gratuity. Like they add a gratuity and then they, and then they plug in another gratuity for you to add. And then, you know, this fee and that fee and the other fee. So it's just, it's an, and then on top of that, there's out of the $32, they're still taking that 18 to 30%. So now I'm sure they're all making plenty of money. I mean, some of them have, you know, done IPOs and they're publicly traded and they're doing just fine. And it's just not a good business model for, it doesn't, it's not good for the restaurants. No, not, not at all. No, not one. Another reason why I missed the nineties in the nineties, we didn't have that. People came in very, you know, you could, you had your certain places you could get your to go food. I feel like we were all pretty happy. I feel like there's just, you know, everything's gotta be a convenience these days. And then in the long run, it winds up not being a convenience. It took us the other day, I guess two of the companies merged and it took us like 35 minutes to place the order because the two of them merged together and they wanted more information and new information and a new password. And, you know, all this stuff, it took us 35 minutes. We're totally frustrated. We're super hungry. The food came, it was $52 for two cheeseburgers, two orders of fries and two Cokes. And it was, it was crap. It was crap. It it was, it was wasn't good. And it didn't, we kind of were like, I don't, we're never going to order from there again. And I'm like, well, maybe not. That's not the case. Like if I had gone in and picked it up myself, it would have been hot and delicious and came right to us. Or if I ate it in house, you know, so yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I'm not saying that nobody should ever use them, but I don't know. I, I like, I would like to go back to, you know, reservation books with pencils and, <laughs> and uh, no food apps and uh, just, you know, word of mouth, you know, I don't know. Although, you know, somebody, somebody asked me a couple years ago, you know, when this sort of the same conversation was taking place, like, you know, technology, Yelp and open table and reservation systems and um, apps and, um you know, everything, Facebook and Instagram, like all, so, I mean, that's the other thing back to the day in the life of a restaurateur, like I'm managing all that technology too, myself and my, and my manager. Um, and somebody's their, their question to me was, well, what about technology? Does it help or does it hurt? And I said, yes, <laughs> it helps. And it hurts. Like it's very difficult and you have to do it because everybody's doing it. And that's what you're competing against. And I mean, you don't have to be on the food apps. That's up to you. But um, it depends on the type of restaurant you are. We were sort of, you know, a middle of the road, you know, not 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 super like white tablecloth fine dining. Like a lot of them don't do it, but we we kind of needed it because it was taking away from our business. I mean, people 
a lot of people weren't going out, you know, a lot of the younger, you know, 20 somethings are just ordering from those apps and staying in. I, it was a funny story. I, you know, back to the parts of the restaurant business that I do love, you know, we have great relationship with our neighbors across the street at Lolinda and the cafe on the other side of us, we borrow things from each other and lend things to each other and commiserate over the difficulties and help each other out with in any ways that we can. It's really nice. That's always been something that I've really enjoyed about being a chef in San Francisco. Um, but one of the sous chefs that I was talking to at the restaurant across the street, he was like, I think he was in his like mid thirties and he lived with three, you know, 20 somethings and they were all techies. They were all dudes. And he's like, I go home and there's just to-go boxes everywhere. Like no one knows how to cook themselves anything or even make themselves a sandwich. They just order stuff every night of the week. And they never, he's like, why don't you go out and like sit in the restaurant and like, you know, have a meal <laughs> once in a while. And they were like, nah. So it's really, you know, it's, it's detrimental to the experience, you know, the dining experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, a friend of mine who pre-COVID was a manager at Monk's Kettle in the mission. And he was just like, um, first of all, we're going to have to close early because, because they were, they were a, a late night eat spot. Yeah. And he was like, we're going to have to close early because all these tech bros, they work 16 hours a day. They come home, they order from caviar and watch Netflix. And that is their life. And that was what yeah. was in San Francisco for the past at least four years, you know, Yeah, which is, you know, again, there's a whole entire podcast of just, you know, the tech industry and what it did to the city, but yeah, well, it changed, things... our dem- it changed our demographics. So exactly. all of a sudden 25% of the residents living here are in that demographic. Then that changed the whole dining, the whole dining scenario. And then on top of that, you know, the downtown restaurants, you know, all these, all these places are also have a cafeteria and offered lunch and snacks and breakfast. So and bars changed, and booze. And- yeah. And that changed, you know, all of it together. And, you know, I'm not trying to like rank on them, you know, we need technology and we need the people who work in that field and everything. But a lot of them also, when they did come out to eat, they're just, some of them were very socially awkward and they, because they don't go out to eat that often. And they kind of just, you know, didn't like, that's, that's what people just used to do for entertainment in San Francisco. That's what my friends and I still do. You know, we, we go out to eat. It's like, it's an experience. You might go to one place and get a cocktail first and then go out to eat and then go somewhere else and get a, a drink at the end. And the whole thing is the experience, but a lot of them just didn't know how to do the experience. So not, you know, sometimes they were just jerks, but like a lot of times they weren't even necessarily trying to be, but they were just like rude, you know, and circle back to the technology, the poor server or myself or whoever comes to the table and you can't get anybody's attention because they're all on their phones Then they're all looking down or they might be pulling up an old menu from their phone saying, can I get that? And like showing you a picture of something. I'm like, sure. If we go back to 2015, but it's 2018 now and I don't have that on the menu and it's winter and that's tomatoes. And like, no, how about if you look at the menu in front of you? you well, know, that's and, another and, thing about what you just if, said. San Franciscan diners know that you don't have tomatoes in the winter. These texts don't know anything because their phone didn't tell them what yeah, is seasonal, it, what yeah. is 
the way you get to know that is by going out and sitting in a restaurant and talking to your server who's, you know, gets to talk to the chef every day before service and is required to know the menu and gets to taste the food and really cares about it and like wants to be part of your experience. But if you, if you don't go out, then you don't talk to them. If you do go out and you don't engage with them and you're just on your phone or some of them are just like not interested in, they're not interested in the experience. So they're not actually even engaging with the person when they are there at the table. So it's just, it's just created a whole different diner. Unfortunately, yes. I mean, fortunately, there are still like, I, you know, I would say 50% of the people that dined at Myriad, I loved, they were wonderful. They got it. They were locals. They lived in the neighborhood. They drove down from places, but they were just, they were diners, you know, and even a lot of the tourists that did come in were like, they were there to go out and eat and experience and sit at the bar and talk to my bartenders. And, you know, we had a lot of that, but 50%, you know, that leaves 50% of people that were just not, you know, they were like, you know, new, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just not. Yeah. That's exactly how to sum it up. Yeah. And then um, fast forward, what was going on? What was it? What, what's, what's 2020? been like for you? What was the year 2020 like for you? Pretty awful. I would say, you know, for sure. One of the worst years of my life that I can think of. Um, just, you know, for just such a multiple multitude of reasons, you know, it was just, you know, never ending. It's still not, it's, you know, we're not done yet. As far oh, as I'm not, Precisely. Not I just even, feel that 2020 was close. like the brunt of, um, but yes, it was the brunt. And, you know, of course, at first it was, uh, I don't think we all even really knew how bad it was, but I, I felt it. I felt, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody like, you know, remembers like, okay, we shut down on the, everybody set, shut down on the 17th. We shut down on the 16th. I called it a day early. I was like, we're closed tomorrow. You know, myself and the sous chef and the manager, we're going to come in. We're going to talk about what's going on because it was, you know, it was three or four weeks of business getting slower and slower and slower. You know, the customers were already self-regulating. People weren't coming out. The, um, the Saturday night before we closed was, I don't, we did like 10 people in our whole, it was like dismal. It was horrifying, but people were already in San Francisco. People were self-regulating that. They were like, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, Three weeks before that, I had, you know, I had put hand sanitizer in all the stations and was telling all the staff and they were like, Ooh, isn't that overkill? Do we really need to do that? I'm like, mm, no. They're like, is it really a thing? I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. You know, I need to, you, every, we all need to take care of ourselves. And, you know, that was even before wearing masks. So, um, you know, then when we closed down that day, we, we, like I said, we closed on the 16th and that was the day, like about halfway through the day, the mayor made the announcement and I was like, okay, well, I, you know, we just, we knew it was coming. And I remember writing it on, we have like a calendar, a two month calendar in the office. And I wrote down the day that we closed and I wrote down three weeks later, reopened with a question mark. Um, it was there until the day I moved out. I just couldn't seem to erase it from there for some reason. And I was like, you know, and, and that day we, uh, processed payroll, paid everybody their paychecks up until the, you know, the day before when they were there. 
called everybody and told them to come in, printed out paperwork um, with information about applying for unemployment. I, you know, told everybody, here's your final check. You're on a layoff. Hopefully it'll just be maybe three or four weeks is what they're saying, but we don't know. Even though it's temporary, apply for unemployment. I suggest you do it immediately. There's going to be millions of people applying for unemployment. Go home and do it now. Um, and then, uh, strangely enough, halfway through the day, we got a call. Um, I got a call from somebody that, um, another chef in the city that I had been working with a couple of years before when all the fires were happening and a lot of us were preparing food and sending it up to Napa and Sonoma. And, um, he reached out saying that the hospitals were, uh, inundated with the employees and the employees needed food and it was getting really difficult there were so many of them working and they were all trying to order separately from caviar and doordash and all that stuff and the hospitals didn't want all those people coming in and out and a lot of restaurants were closed and so they how could they even order food <clears throat> so they were trying to organize like making group meals and he said can you you know can you hop on with this can you make i said well what do you need he said, I need 25 meals delivered to the emergency room at UCSF in Mission Bay at eight o'clock tonight. And I was like, okay, got it. And that literally was the day that Frontline Foods was born. And within a couple of months, it was like in like 35 states. It, you know, it was Frontline Foods San Francisco. It was a nonprofit. It was funded by private donations. There were people, you know, working on. So, so they, the Frontline Foods paid the restaurants. And the food was donated to the hospital staff and it was funded by private um, fundraising. So we started doing that from, from, you know, that first, that first day. And, um, you know, the next day, so first we got everybody, you know, laid off and set up with what they needed. And the next day, a couple, you know, a couple of people came in to help me um, deal with all the food you know, we had a restaurant full of food to deal with. So packed a lot of stuff up and, you know, uh, called staff and let them come and pick it up, put a lot of stuff in the freezer that, you know, would be fine for three or four weeks thinking that we'd use it later. And, um, you know, just took care of sort of shutting it all down, turning off the gas, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I would say the next six weeks were for me, I was, doing those, I was cooking once a week for my staff, um, pulling things from the freezer to just make sure that they had food and cooking once a week for frontline foods. And those orders kind of got bigger and bigger. Um, but I was just doing that by myself and mostly just because, well, A, we weren't operating, so I didn't really have money to pay and, you know, really want to spend money on payroll to pay people. But also everything was still so scary then. So I didn't want anybody coming in. You know, when everybody came to get their food, I would have them text me from the back gate. I didn't even let them come inside. And I we all would wear masks and I would walk out their packages to them. Um, and then, you know, all day long, it would be working on grants and loans and reaching out to vendors and, you know, managing my money and resources and, you know, multiple things. Did you talk to your landlords? What was I did. My landlord, I was very lucky. My landlord was very good to me. Um, 
in the beginning, I was just, you know, the very first month I was like, I can't give you the rent money this month. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll hold on. I think I had given him a check and said, don't cash it. And he said, I'll just hold on to it. You know, we'll just talk in a couple of weeks. And then, you know, I think probably two or three weeks later, he was like, can I cash that check? And I said, no. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And I said, but I did apply at that point, the PPP um, loans were out and I applied and I, I said, I'm waiting to hear, you know, and then, you know, probably a couple of weeks after that, I got that loan and I, I wrote him a check for, you know, a few months, but he was just really, really good to me. You know, that money had to be spent a certain way. So I couldn't pay him full rent. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of, you know, laws that got enacted and things that could dictate how you dealt with the landlord. We really didn't even go down that path. He and I just communicated a lot all the time. Um, he saw how hard I was working to try to make it all work. And he was, you know, I always gave him something. I gave him more in the beginning and then, you know, more when we were open for a little while and then less later. And it was kind of all over the place, you know, and other landlords, I, you know, I heard a lot of other stories that didn't go that way. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I was, I was really fortunate that I had somebody that worked with me all, all along the way. Even when I sold, he was just like, you know, you, I've never seen anybody work so hard and you deserve to, you know, make an exit that's good for you and good for your health. And like, he just was really good to me. Oh, that is good to hear. Cause yeah, there's been some gnarly stories out there. Yeah. I have a friend right down the street. He's like, his landlord's just like, I want the money. I want the money. I want the money. I don't care. I want it all. I want the full rent. I was like, he can't really demand that from you, but you know, eventually they'll be able to, but yeah. And it was just so stressful. It was like, you do see that we're closed, <laughs> you know? And it was just like so many things too. It's like, you actually forget until you sit here and start talking about it again. Cause it wasn't just being closed. It was like, we were closed. And then there was like this insane political atmosphere and you're watching the news every day. And, you know, we're not like not doing the right things in terms of taking care of people's health. And it's becoming this big political issue. And then we're in the middle of a presidential race and the things that were going on were just mind boggling. And then, you know, then there's our black citizens getting murdered in the street and then there's you know the black lives matter protests and just you know then in the bay area we had fires again and we had what we all here call the orange day that was like it looked like armageddon yes it was just like the the street lights never went out that day it was like just orange and dark and doom and you know and then everybody has their personal stuff. You know, we're, we're, we've lo I lost people. I lost friends. I lost, I had, I had a lot of family members that actually got sick with COVID and we're all worried about ourselves. And I was worried about my staff. And then a hit and run driver, like ran over my parklet and like took the whole thing down. And, you know, then we were, had to try to get open and build a parklet. And like, uh, it's just, you kind of forget how many things happened in that one year. I was just going to ask you if you built a parklet. I can't remember seeing it. We, we built but... it. We just built it ourselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally like scavenged a bunch of uh, um, pallets and um, you know, Shane, yes. Shane built it. Shane and my bus boy and I was the helper uh, built it ourselves. And uh, we built it in June and then uh, 
I think it was October. No, 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 no. It was it was after we closed. It was it was like uh, early December. It was after we got shut down for the second time after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. that uh, I was just, like a drunk driver just crashed directly into it and took the whole thing down. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, and then there was just like the ups and downs of you know getting reopened after three months. You, you think it would have been you know okay, well you've been running this restaurant for five years. How hard is it? But you're trying to reopen with like a thousand safety protocols you're worried about actually you know keeping your staff safe and also legally adhering to all the rules and regulations um because i didn't you know i didn't have that many um i had two apps i think before the pandemic but i shut them down so we had to bring those apps back up i added a third app because everybody was ordering you know from there um my POS system had implemented where you could um, run it through them. So that was like a good thing, but we had to get that set up. It was just, you know, it was just a lot of work. And then you had to prep the whole, you had to figure out what your menu was going to be. It wasn't the best, you know, you weren't going to, for me, I was going to open with the whole full menu because we all opened for limited hours. I was, you know, when I first opened, I opened, um, we, I waited until June 8th. And I opened for everything all at the same time. I didn't do, I didn't do just takeout and delivery because I, I know, I just know my restaurant and I know what my takeout and delivery volume was before. And that, you know, we're not just pizza and pasta. Like I just didn't think the volume, I knew the volume wouldn't be worth the labor. Um, so I waited till I got the PPP loan, figured out how to spend it. And then we opened for, takeout delivery and outdoor dining all at once. And then, and then we built the parklet and we're able to expand our outdoor dining. And so it was like, okay, it was like, you know, not super busy, but I was like, I guess this is like COVID busy enough. And I think we got opened a little bit before, like everybody got opened. So then, you know, we did pretty well. And then the numbers went down again because everybody was getting open. And then the numbers went up again because we built the parklet. We had more space. And then we had fires and the numbers kept going up and down because the air quality was terrible, you know, and then things got a little better and everybody was feeling a little safer. There was like a stretch of like three weeks where it was busier again because the weather was good and everybody was out. And then the weather started getting cold and it was just, you know, October was just like, it was just getting at the end of October, things were slowing down and then November was pretty dismal. And then they let us start coming inside, but people weren't, um, comfortable with it. So it took, you know, we were open inside for a week before we had anybody want to come in and sit inside, you know, and we had to figure that out. You can only do 25%. And because ours is, has a wall down the middle of it, it was 25% in, in each room. So we were mm. allowed to have like 10 seats on one side and 10 seats on the other side, which just looked ridiculous. And then there's just the logistics of that. Like half of your furniture is out on the sidewalk. And then other stuff is like stacked inside because you're not using all of it and it looks weird. And then here, why don't you and your guests sit over here in this weird looking space? You know, it was just, you know, people don't realize all the crazy logistics. And then once we finally did get some people that wanted to come inside, some of them wouldn't keep the mask on. And we were, we were pretty fortunate. We did not have a lot of pushback during the whole thing. 
People were very kind. People would put their masks on when you came up to the table, whatever, even outside. But then oddly enough, when they were allowed to come inside, we had people that just, you know, were rude. And so we finally had like one day where we sat maybe six or seven tables inside. And I was like, all right, well, it's just getting cold enough. People are going to start coming in. And then two days after that, we got shut down again. So it's, you know, it's been a roller coaster. And then after that, then, you know, then the parklet got run over. And, you know, then we were also like just at the next round of, you know, when we shut down again, I I just decided to close as a lot of people did at that point. I was like, it's cold. Like close for good or no, at that point I just decided to hibernate and I, you know, I I put the information, you know, on our social medias and in the window, like we're going into a hibernation, you know, probably for at least two months. I just didn't see December and January. You know, what is the point? You know, there was no point. It wasn't, we didn't, we didn't have the money at that point. All the PPP money was spent and um, it wasn't a good, it was just not a good business decision to be open. And a lot of us, you know, that was the plan, like to hibernate and see what happens. And, you know, had, had the, the restaurant relief grant been processed sooner and not dragged on so long, like they started that in July or August, you know, and if that had come through sooner, I might've, you know, kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I decided to, I had it on the market and just decided like, I'm going to see if it sells. And like, if it doesn't sell, I'll be forced to reopen or I could have gone bankrupt, but I really, 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 really didn't want to do that. Um, or, you know, we'll see if I get an offer, you know, and eventually I got an offer and then the restaurant relief grant came through. <laughs> so, oh man, it, oh, you know, man. it's okay. It's, it was meant to be. Uh, I mean, uh, it was also a very difficult year, you know, for me and everybody else, just, you know, all of that that we just talked about, like, you know, brought a lot of anxiety and stress and depression times like, 10 times 20 times, times 10, 10 like, like I've every never, single day. And like, I've never felt before. And, you know, at least, you know, I was, I don't know, smart enough or just in tune. Like I, I knew I was in that. I think we all did. I think, you know, I never, I don't think everybody's ever, uh, any of us have ever said I'm depressed so many times. Like everybody's like, yeah, I'm depressed. Uh-huh. I'm anxious. Yes. I'm nervous. I'm stressed. I'm sad. Like, you know, we all, we all felt it. So, you know, just all of that on top of it. And then it also like all, I think, you know, the physical, all of us in the restaurant business were working our asses off because we didn't have all of our staff. So, you know, I was like, you know, going in, setting up the restaurant, doing all that admin that I usually do, doing the ordering, doing the prep list, making sure I had schedules, seating people, running in the kitchen, cooking food, running it out. You know, we were, we didn't have our cleaning crew. So we would have to clean the whole restaurant at the end of the night do extra cleaning because it's COVID, find different products, find masks, find shields, um, and then literally physically carry heavy furniture that's not meant to be carried outside outside every day. And so like the, the stress and the anxiety is bad for your physical body. And then the physical work was bad. So my knees just got wrecked. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you're, you're doing all this stuff. And then I was also in pain. 
So I think, you know, in the long run, the fact that I got the offer, you know, was meant to be because it just really wasn't a healthy um, situation. And I, I could have kept going. I could have kept fighting. I'd, I'd probably still be there if I did. But combination of everything that we just talked about, you know, all the apps and all the technology and the change in demographic and the change in our customer base and the change, you know, then all the changes that COVID brought, which was, you know, the mission's a mess and it's filthy and everyone's graffitiing and vandalizing and, you know, there's homeless people everywhere and, you know, walking, you know, they're basically homeless people walking through your dining room and, you know, customers are on Yelp saying, you know, the staff was great and the food was great, but I really hated the atmosphere. Oh, well, thanks. Okay. What am I supposed to do about that? You know, you're eating on a sidewalk in the mission district. <laughs> you kind of could have figured that out before you came over here, but you know, exactly. all those things together just made it that, you know, as much as I didn't want to let go of this thing, like I told you, I was 18 years old and it was my first day of culinary school. And I was like, I'm going to own my own restaurant someday. Like I definitely didn't want to let go. But I also didn't want to beat myself into a heart attack or a stroke or, you know, by keeping on doing that for, you know, it's going to be two years before this, like there's a full recovery from this, in my opinion, you yes. know, I, you know, people might disagree with me, but I know for me at my restaurant, in my business, in my neighborhood, that's, that's was the writing on the wall for me that that's what I saw. And I couldn't, do, I had, a, I had to balance the two things out and I just had to go with, you know, I had a dream. I did it. I worked hard. People liked it. I'm proud of it, but I have to like actually take care of myself. And so I taking care of myself meant letting it go. I agree 1000% about taking care of yourself. And it just seems that so many people did not get the resources to help them take care of themselves, which is such a, it's, it's unacceptable. Like there should have been so much more money going around. It should have been so much easier from the federal, from the state, from the local, it should have yeah. been there for so many people. Well, to it should have like, been again. so much faster, yes. you know, yeah. for, for one thing. And then Yes. Easier. Like the PPP loan. I mean, I, I appreciate it actually that they, 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 they did get that program up and going like that actually sort of happened pretty fast, but it just wasn't the way to do it. Like to make the small businesses have to, the process wasn't that easy. It was, you know, difficult and it was stressful. And then we had to get the money. They changed the rules of about 30 times after you got the money. So you signed off on a loan document based on the rules they gave you. And then you can go on the, on the SBA website and see that it says interim rule number 12, interim final rule number 15, interim final, you know, and, and in the end, the rules got changed for the better that worked better for us, but following it and the stress and all the different spreadsheets that different people were using to try to make sure that you were going to get the forgiveness. And it shouldn't have gone that way. They should have given the money directly to lots of different people who needed it. The, the small businesses who were already having to do all the work of trying to keep their business open and keep people safe shouldn't have, have had to have been the harbingers of that money. So people should have gotten rent relief, Landlords should have gotten mortgage relief. Everything from the top down should have just been on freeze. 
you'll get your mortgage. It'll just get tacked onto the end. And then the landlords could have, you know, passed on that rent relief and then they could have given money directly to human beings, you know, rather than, and then, and then given also obviously made it easier for the businesses to get the loans directly without all of the hoops to jump through and adding more stress. I mean, the amount of stress coming from all the different directions of, you know, trying to keep our customers safe, keep our staff safe, actually run the business, try not to lose more money, you know, apply for the loans, apply for the grants, manage the loans, manage the grants, manage how you spent it, and then apply for the forgiveness and apply for more things. And, you know, watch the, you know, I applied for tons of stuff that I didn't get too. You you know, there was lots of programs out there, but not enough for everybody. And that's just the way it is. But, you know, you're constantly watching the, the notice come through saying, you know, you're not in this round, but hang on, you might be in the next round. And then you, you get a lot, and then you get no's and, you know, it just, it just could have all been done better had we had a different administration at the time for one thing. For in, sure. In for federal sure. Government. I think, you know, and watching the news and watching all the people that were dying was stressful to all of us, you know, oh, yes. all of it. What a mess. What's the one thing you want people to know about chefs? I know it's a really open-ended question, but what do you want? What's, what's the one thing? Well, you know, I, I want the people who don't understand because some people understand and they get it. It's, you know, back to the different, the different style of the diners that we have these days, but you know, that, that chefs are human beings and, you know, they're, we we're we're like the hardest working people that you're ever going to meet. Right. And we do it for a lot of reasons. We do it for ourselves. We do it for our staff. We do it for our customers. You know, we, we want, we're people pleasers. There's nothing that makes us happier than to make people happy and, you know, to be able to make people happy through food and beverage and through the experience of enjoying that food and beverage as human beings, like out in the world over a conversation, and you know, meeting people that you don't know and having the experience with the, the restaurant staff that's trying to bring that experience to you you know, that's what we're all trying to do. And, you know, we're really hard working. And honestly, we have a pretty thick skin. We, we kind of have to because everybody critiques what you do every single day. But, you know, I think people need to also realize that even though we have a thick skin like that, we have a lot of pride in what we do and, and we're human beings. And think about if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't like get up and go up to that person, whether it's the chef or the manager or a server, and just rail into them with every opinion that you have about about something that they, they honestly put a lot of hard work and love into then you know why would you do that in a on a facebook post or an instagram post or on a yelp review you know just remember that people are human beings and that they're putting their love and their passion into something and and you know if you don't like it, that's okay. We're not all going to like every experience that we have, but, you know, remember that these are human beings that are putting themselves out there and, and that we really do it for the, for the joy of sharing these experiences and, and what we know about food and, and beverages with people, you know, because we, we love it. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. You hit it head on the nail about chefs are some of the hardest working people. I don't yeah. know how anybody in the back of the house like does kind of, it. I, I have no idea. Love it. We're weird. 
you know, but it's gotten harder. It's definitely gotten harder. Um, and it, it makes it a little, it, it, little more difficult to love it, but we, you know, we love the experience of creating great food and creating great memories for people and great experiences. So like, you know, we try to keep that at the core. So there you have it. Sadly, Marriott Restaurant did not survive the pandemic. An estimated 100,000 restaurants throughout the U.S. permanently shut down in the past year and a half. And I'm not sure if I'm going to blame all the closures on the pandemic or if I should blame the closures on the lack of funds and lack of concern for an industry of essential workers. It's like the whole bar and restaurant industry got kicked to the curb by the federal government. Yes, that does mean the Trump administration. No one from that administration gave a shit about an entire industry or about any other essential worker. It's absolutely disgraceful and rotten. And like Trish said, it was her dream to open a restaurant. Well, it was also a dream for 100,000 other people as well. And it's not just the loss of a dream or the loss of a lifelong goal that got pulled out from underneath you. But it's also the loss of livelihoods, the loss of community that are gone and could be gone for a very long time because of how badly this pandemic was handled. So detrimental on so many levels. And I've said it before, so I'm going to say it again. The back of the house are some of the hardest working people ever. Thank you. And thank you to Trish Tracy. Thank you so much for talking to me. And the best of luck in your next adventure. Trish, we are cheering you on. And I'm going to say this again. Please get vaxxed. Please mask up. Please do your part. Thank you for listening. Booze Nation, the podcast, can be found on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you again. And remember, please tip your bartenders. Bye. Bye.